What is up, fellas? Welcome back to the Grown Man Podcast, where we motivate, challenge, and resource men to step more fully into manhood in faith, work, and life. I'm Kirk Kersey. Thank you so much for joining us on this manhood journey together. And today, joining us on the show is my new friend, Marcus Murphy. Marcus is the Director of Partnerships for Digital Marketer, which if you're not, if you're in the marketing space, you're probably familiar with Digital Marketer. If you're in the marketing space and you're not familiar with them, you should go check them out at digitalmarketer.com. We run a marketing company on the side. Some of you probably know that already, not on the side. It's our full-time day job called Scaled Up Marketing. Uh, But we use Digital Marketer a ton for just getting our team on the same page about how we think about marketing marketing, what our philosophies are, what strategies we need to develop for our clients. Uh, it's an amazing resource. Their mission is to help 10,000 small businesses double in size, which is pretty phenomenal when you think about the impact that that would make in our economy, the impact in the lives of those small businesses, the impact uh, that those small businesses will make in their clients' lives. Just a really cool cool mission. Um, So check him out at digitalmarketer.com. But I invited Marcus Murphy on the show because I've kind of watched his career over the last two or three years since joining Digital Marketer and just always been like attracted to him. He's uh, his mission is really all around sales guys more than it is even digital marketing, I would say, um, and really reclaiming the sales profession for good, right? We've all met salespeople that are not great salespeople, and we all have that kind of picture of the sleazy sales guy (laughs) in our head. And Marcus is on a mission to say, hey, sales doesn't have to be that way, which is a, a message that is also near and dear to my heart. And I think really powerful and needed in today's world. Marcus is also a LinkedIn nerd, a huge advocate uh, and part of their board of advisors, which is pretty cool. I think their board of advisors somehow involved at the leadership level uh, with LinkedIn, which is really cool. And those of you that know me know that I love that platform. That's actually how Marcus and I originally connected, uh, which is just kind of cool power of today's world. I saw him post something about some books he was reading, saw that one of them uh, was a Christian book and and didn't realize that Marcus was a believer and reached out to him and just said, hey, dude, I like you already. <laughs> we have this podcast and I uh, didn't know you were a believer, but would love to have you on, which is kind of cool in today's world that that is possible, right? And, and that's really a central theme to some of the stuff that we talk about on the show, just around Marcus and his focus throughout his career of just getting himself in the same room as men that he admires and just the power uh, of surrounding yourself with the right men. You know, we, we talk about that all the time, right? Like you've probably heard it a million times that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. But how intentional are you about looking out in the world and going, that guy is doing something really special. I'm going to get myself around him, not just follow him on on Instagram, not just follow him on LinkedIn, not just sign up for his email list, not just read his books, but actually work to get around that person. I think that's a really cool, cool idea. Uh, We also talk about Marcus digs into a story of just his relationship with his dad and what it looks like what it looked like to work on repairing that relationship. I thought that story was really powerful. I appreciate, Marcus, your authenticity. And really the purpose of that story was Marcus talking about 
showing rather than just telling his girls what it looks like to step into your values. I thought obviously a ton of great lessons in that story. Uh, We dig into that and a whole lot more. Before we dive into the show, I want you to do me a huge favor. I want you to pick your favorite episode of this show and I want you to send it to one buddy that you don't think is listening to the show already. It would mean the world to me. Uh, I think this is an amazing way. This this podcast is a great way to start a different level of dialogue with your friends just by saying, hey, I love this podcast. Not sure if you'll love it, but I think you might. Check it out. And if you like it, let's grab a beer or a bourbon or a nice glass of water and let's talk about it, right? Really simple way. And that's what this podcast is all about is just changing some of those conversations, starting new conversations and getting men to open up about what it looks like to be a man from a faith perspective, from a work perspective, uh, just in your day-to-day lives, relationally, whatever uh, the case may be. We're on this journey together. Let's lock arms together and let's get after it. Right, So with that, text one dude, one dude, your favorite episode of the show, not hard. (laughs) So with that, let's jump into this episode of the Grown Man Podcast with my new friend, Marcus Murphy. Let's do it, brother. Marcus, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. I was sharing a little bit before we jumped on just, you know, the last few years, I've just admired you from a distance for so long. Yeah, just creeping on me. I got yeah, creeping on you for sure. I'll, I'll admit it, man. <laughs> and, uh, and saw a recent post from you that gave me a little bit of a sense that, uh, that you might be a believer. I was always curious about, about you and the crew at Digital Marketer and, uh, yeah, man. And so excited to just dig into a little bit more of your story. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and thanks. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You know, we don't always, I'm on a bunch of podcasts all the time or we we're always out creating content or speaking somewhere, but you know, we rarely get to talk about our faith so openly. And, you know, this is kind of like the first time anybody's ever really like, if they stumble upon this, this will be a part, like if you type in Marcus Murphy, whatever, this will show up somewhere. Um, it's really cool. It's cool to see, you know, a part of me that's the biggest part, but it isn't always like the most prominent one in, in the business market in the marketplace. Right. Totally. Well, it's cool, man. I, I, I admire you for as big of an audience as you've created, right. To, to have the courage and the boldness to say yes to a podcast like this, to, yeah, to yeah. really be, be open and out there. And I think like, I think cool too, knowing that, like, like I said, I didn't know if you and Ryan and the guys at digital marketer, which we'll talk about that platform, obviously as part of your story, but like, I knew there was something different you heard you guys. And it's cool now to see that that really comes from a place of faith is really neat. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, definitely. I think so, that's... so let's kick this thing off real, real strong, right? It's the grown man podcast. All right. I like <laughs> if that. You, if you were to talk about uh, what you have learned about what it means to be a grown man, mm. like, how do you think of a grown man? What, what does that actually mean to be a grown man? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I've had uh, kind of a mixed bag of influencers in my life that are meant, mm-hmm. right? Like I was a, raised by a single mom working three jobs, put me through private schools, and I had a father who was gone. So for me, it was interesting, like the first real man or like the first like North Star masculinity in my life was my grandfather. And my grandfather was born in 1922. So he had like this old school chivalry about him. Southern gentleman, like that's, that was like a, a huge part, but he was a deacon in a Baptist church. And when I'd walk in every morning before we went out to the farm, because he was a horse trainer, before we went out to the horse farm every morning, I'd walk into his kitchen and he'd have black coffee, a piece of dry toast, and he'd have his King James out 
open. And for years, when I was a kid, he used to make me read to him. And I used to think it was because he like wanted me to know Jesus. But then I realized after he died that he just couldn't see anymore. <laughs> he, was, he was like too proud to tell me. So he would have my brother and I like read to him uh, in the morning. So we would read out of the Bible, you know, and it didn't mean a lot to me as a kid because I mean, it didn't, it wasn't like penetrating my heart, but at, at the time like that, that rhythm was something I saw every single day. So like the men in my life early, showed a lot of discipline, like showed a lot of discipline and perseverance. My grandfather had a third, third grade education, came from deep South. His parents were slaves, uh, but he's a mixed, he's like me. So like my dad's black, my mom's Italian. His dad was black. His mom was Italian back when like, in, they got married in like 1870 something, wow. like kind of interracial relationship way back in the day when people could die for it. And in fact, when you go back and you look at the census, she's listed as a black woman because they, the people that did the census never talked to anybody but the head of the household, which, which was the man. Right? <laughs> so that, so that he could say, well, whoever's in the house and this is who it is and how many kids we have and this is what we are. Um, so she was listed as, uh, as black on the census, but um, every picture and everybody knows in my family that she was, she was a white woman from Chicago. So that's amazing. Yeah. So I've got these, you know, my grandfather, uh, he did, he looked pretty much more white than he did black, but he self-segregated in the late, like early fifties, whatever, before when he married my grandmother in the forties, he literally made that decision and said, no, I'm a black man. And I'm going to take those consequences. I don't, it doesn't matter how white I am or not. And so he lived his life that way. So he is one of the only quote unquote African-American trainers in the hall of fame. Uh, for training horses and and my great grandfather my great uncle was a was a, just a lineage of these guys who started businesses so I saw that the most masculine thing that most men did when I was growing up especially my grandfather who came from a different time period than me was just this habitual rhythm of like day in day out nothing changed but the productivity and the output was, was the same. So like every day was like productive and, you know, he was world-class and obviously in the hall of fame and was very famous for what he did. And he literally started his day the same every single day and in the word every day, which has just mm. been huge for me. Even when I, cause I, I didn't get baptized till later in my life, but that really framed kind of like, man, what kind of man do I want to be? And it was like, man, if I could even be an 18th, as successful as Walter Murphy, then, uh, then I feel like I'm, I'm doing something pretty, pretty amazing in my life. So that was like the first, the first guy that influenced, uh, what it was like to be a man. Yeah. I mean, to have those models in your family, like in the history of your family, like, yeah. it, like that's such a powerful, just to know that you come from that lineage yeah. and how much that affects your mindset. Yeah. I mean, what a powerful story, like, especially with all the racial divides still in our country today and across the world Yeah, like to have that, that rich history and to actually like, how did you know those stories? Like how were those actually passed down to you? Yes. My grandfather was an incredible storyteller. And you know, what's really crazy is like when I only knew how famous he was at his funeral, like we always knew my grandfather. He was like very much like behind the scenes, didn't really want a lot of attention not like me, right? Like he was, <laughs> he was very much like a, you know, he got the job done. He was one of the best at what he did. Um, but he never had, he never had that kind of like, look at me vibe to him. Um, he was just a, I don't know how to explain it, but anyway, when he passed away, all these celebrities and people came out of the woodwork, um, because he trained horses for everybody, presidents, uh, everybody, George Foreman was there. Walter, William Shatner is one of his best friends. Wow. So there's all these things that like you would never know because his day in and day out was like sitting on his lap, telling stories, going to get ice cream, get in the car, driving through the countryside with nowhere to go and just kind of fall on the road. And 
you know, he really enjoyed those times. So I got him like in his, his young seventies, he died when he was 78. So I had, you know, had my grandfather, the one that I remember in his, in his early mid seventies and life was probably a lot more simple for him at that point. But, you know, he spent a lot of time just kind of passing down all of these, um, these traditions through kind of this oral tradition of telling stories and, and kind of talking about his life, uh, which was pretty, pretty, I mean, it's incredibly valuable for me. Yeah. That's powerful, man. That are you now? I know, I think you have kids, right? I do have two girls. Yeah. That's amazing, man. How old? Uh, four and two. So my oldest is Florence and my youngest is Pearl named after my great, my grandfather's mother. So oh, yeah. no way. Oh, yeah. that's powerful, man. Yeah. It's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you at, at that young of an age, like how are you continuing kind of storytelling down to your new generation? You know, it's actually interesting. So I'm going to talk about this from an interesting angle. So my grandfather was a very positive male influence and my father wasn't. So my father um, was kind of absent for, you know, in and out. And then in high school was there for a little while and then 13 years was gone. Mm-hmm. And 13 years also was basically like, I didn't want anything to do with him. I wrote him off. And, um, after 13 years, I went back, I I got a phone call that he was on his deathbed and, um, and I, you know, actually Richard Linder, one of the guys, the co-founder president digital marketer pretty much forcefully put me on a plane and and prayed with me and told me I need to go forgive him. No way. So uh, so yeah, he paid for my flights, paid for everything, just put me on a plane, flew me out to Ohio. And I, you know, went to the, the hospital bed and I remember walking in and I was, I, you know, those moments are interesting when you're, you're, you're going there and in your mind, you're like, I'm going to forgive this person because obviously I've been forgiven and I need to go do this as a man because I want to break like this generational, I, you know, I also, I'm thinking about my kids because I, the stories I tell, I want to actually just show them. Like I want to show them more than I want to tell them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I knew that, man, if I, if I was ever going to have a shot at my kids understanding like godly forgiveness is like, I needed to, to exercise that in my life. Mm-hmm. So flew to Ohio and I've got all these emotions and I'm like kind of angry and I'm thinking like, you know, I'm going to give this guy a piece of my mind, but then I'm going to forgive him. You know? <laughs> that, that, that was the, the rhythm. But what was really interesting is I got in that room and I just, the guy 13 years ago was gone. Like the guy that I saw was like a frail guy that just kind of, you know, was, was, uh, was weak and, you know, needed, I just saw like, you know, it's been the reason why I went to forgive him. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the good Samaritan story in Luke, but the first time I ever heard that story, I was sitting down with a guy and he was telling me, he's like, let's read through that story together. And I'm like, absolutely. Let's go. And I read through it and he goes, he goes, yeah. He's like, so the Samaritan was like, all these people passed him and the guy's like broken and bleeding on the side of the road. And the Samaritan who was a very dangerous for him to do it, because if he would have gone over there, the Samaritans at that time, where he was, it was dangerous because they probably thought he would have done it or that was him if he was like hanging over this guy's body. And, you know, it was very dangerous for him to actually stop. And I sat there and I was like, yeah, man. And he goes, who do you think you are in that story? And I said, oh yeah, the guy that came over to help the other guy, right? Like that's what we do as Christians. Like we're, we don't care about race or whatever and all this stuff. And he's like, man, he's like, you're the broken dude on the side of the road. Mm. And he goes, so is your dad. And so is everybody else. And he's like, and, and I sat there and that, that struck me because like when I saw my dad in that hospital room and I apologize for a little emotional, but I, uh, I saw him through that lens, like the broken guy on the side of the road. And I realized I'm like laying right there with him. Hmm. And honestly, man, like I want to show my girls that, like, I want to show my kids 
like masculinity is strength and being able to do the hard things that, you know, most people don't and, and forgiveness, like true godly forgiveness is like the story I want to tell my kids, like more than I want them to like see their dad on TV and all this stuff, even though like, that's probably, they're going to grow up with that. I want them to know, like, you know, dad did the hard things for Jesus. And, you know, I think that that's been like a, uh, a big generational piece for me instead of telling stories. I just want to show them. Dude, there's so much to unpack there that, you know, I, if I admired you before, I admire you so much more now, <laughs> but I, but man, I think like just the, the humility, I can't even imagine the humility that that ha- had to have taken to be able to see not only your dad as the guy laying on the side of the road, but you laying there with him. Yeah. Like what a, what a powerful way to, as a man, like really own the brokenness that we all have yeah. in us. Right. Yeah. It, and that's a part. It's like, if we, if we sit around and we go, there is no self-righteousness in, in our faith. Like there is no, there, if you feel better than anybody else, like you've missed the entire point of, mm-hmm. of, of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I didn't get that honestly though. I didn't get it till late. And I spent the majority of my life thinking I was better than my family and better than my dad and better than all these people. Um, and, and I realized, you know, like we are thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus because of, of, of who we can be to him. Um, because if we weren't, we would be that, that sin, that raging hatred against God. Um, and so I know for a fact that like, even though Jesus went to the cross, I'm still a sinner. Like this is, this is why I came. And if I, for, for whatever reason, I think I've, I believed or created some kind of narrative in my mind where I'm, where I wasn't like, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. I'm not these, I'm not doing drugs over here and I'm not, you know, doing all these other things. And I became very self-righteous in that. And, and also like, Oh man, my life, it looks pretty successful and I'm doing a lot of cool things and I'm, I'm blessing people quote unquote. But I realized that no, man, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I'm laying right there on the side of the road. I need saving and I needed a Samaritan too. So that really helped me to forgive him, uh, to restore our relationship because he did recover by the way, which is kind of like a, a huge, Oh wow! yeah. And so we, um, we became, you know, we talked every day and still do. And, you know, God's done some pretty huge things there. The girls actually met their granddad, which I don't think they would have uh, if I hadn't had that, if somebody hadn't actually showed me like who I am, you know? Yeah. That's amazing, man. So the girls actually got a chance to meet him. Yeah. Yeah. They know granddad. Yep. And, and they're, and I'm honest about it too. It's like my, my dad still know, you know, he, but he, uh, you know, he told me he accepted Jesus, which was like, (laughs) like a cool thing, uh, for me, but also, yeah, but also, you know, he's still, um, a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. And if you know any about anything about that, you know, people struggle with those things for their whole entire life. And so there are seasons where he's here and not here and, you know, and, and, and God willing, he'll be here for, for as long as until his old, old years. But, you know, I think that I'm, I'm honest with my girls about who he is um, and just making sure they understand, you know, that, that granddad is going through and struggling mm-hmm. with, with, uh, with things in his life, but, but does love them because he does. Yeah. You know, Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Well, so as as humble as Marcus is for the listeners, he's also done some pretty amazing things in his career already <laughs> as a young guy. So take us through a little bit, man. Like how like so you're director marketer 
when you're in the marketing space and you don't know who digital marketer is, then I don't actually believe that you're in the marketing space because <laughs> <laughs> they do amazing work. So yeah. talk to me about like, how, what has the trajectory of your career been? How did you end up in this spot that you're in now, which seem, seems like an amazing position for somebody that has the, the heart around what, what you're passionate about? Yeah, man, I honestly, I, okay. So I think I got out of school and I was like, okay, I want to, I really, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know how that would really work. And my wife and I had a company for, from let's see, 2009 to 2015, 14. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, my wife was like kind of burnt out on like running the business. And she was like, Hey, I think you need to go back and like find a job. Right. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like healthcare and whatever. So I took like an <laughs> level role at a small company called Yelp and, at the time was like really small and I just came in as like an account manager. And then, um, I, but, but even then I, I, I'd always really enjoyed and always had a vision for my life that I was going to be like a speaker and going to be, you know, influencing and writing and all that stuff. I just really, where did that come from? You think, you know, honestly, I just, I think, I think it came from a, a, a not a godly place first. And mm-hmm. I think it came from like wanting to be known and wanting to be important. And how does the world, how does the world perceive importance and success? And I mean, I remember being a kid, like six years old, wearing suits and carrying a briefcase to school. Like, because I thought to myself, like, this is what success is. And so I remember kind of just thinking like, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a big time successful, whatever. It didn't even matter. It's like, I'm just going to be this, I'm going to be the, the, the prototype success model for, you know, yeah world. And then I realized that there was a lot of emphasis put on people that could communicate. And I was around a lot of really great entertainer communicators when I was young and, um, and quickly identified that I could do it. Didn't mind jumping in front of huge crowds of people. Didn't mind, you know, didn't matter what I had to say, man. Like that was, that was the problem. The problem when I was younger and speaking is I was just speaking (laughs) (laughs) and, and didn't really understand the power of words. Didn't really understand that, you know what, most people who are speaking or asked to speak have something to say that's valuable for other people to glean and use in their life. And so when I was still like, I took a bunch of years off speaking. I, I was I doubled down on my years at Yelp and spent a lot of time being developed there, being humbled there. Um, and then a kind of an opportunity presented itself. I, I had did one presentation to a, a brand new crop of sales folks at Yelp. And that was like, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like a whole different level of presentation. And maybe we should, mm. you know, we should talk about what this, what you could do. And so I, they put me out for these bigger positions, like manager of local business outreach, which is like a PR role for the company. And I would go speak at these things and help town hall meetings and all this stuff, right? For to to represent this brand. And then I was like, I, I had a friend of mine who's like, and this is all God because like there is no reason I should have left Yelp. But I had a friend of mine who was at another small company at the time that ended up being a hundred million dollar company called Infusionsoft out in Phoenix. <laughs> and uh, he's like, hey, this is a small company. They need somebody to come and build out, you know, partnerships or something. I was like yeah, man, that sounds really cool. And I could come back to Phoenix because at the time we were in San Francisco. And so I came back to Phoenix, took this job and immediately they were trying to figure out this strategy. And I'm like, Hey, what would it be like if I got on stages and I started talking and created a talk around something that would tie directly into, you know, the software so that I can create a need for it, tell stories and create some kind of like fun way for people to be like, Oh man, yeah, I totally need this thing. Or I want to have a conversation. So I created that. They liked it. It started selling a bunch of like software and then they sent me all over the world speaking and talking and doing the same thing and building communities and doing meetups. And so I built more of that brand. And then one time when I was in London, England, I was at, uh, 
event in Chelsea. Uh, this guy named Nick James. It was called Bums on Seats Bootcamp, and now it's called Expert Empires, which is a way better name. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this little guy walks in with his wife, like, and he was mobbed. Like, he had a had a suit on, and his wife was there, and like, I didn't know who he was, and he just got mobbed. All these people were coming around him. It was like a rock rock star kind of move, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Yo, that's Ryan Dice." And I was like, I was like, okay. And they're like, do you want to meet him? And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to meet him. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to. Go. I had no idea. And I, I, I had a, I got mic'd up. I'm, I'm in the back. I'm about to go on stage, but he was going before me, and he's like the main keynote, right? So I'm like, I'm getting mic'd up. And I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm listening to this guy lay out business and marketing and everything in ways I just could not believe how smart this guy was and how charismatic and how great of a speaker he was. And I just sat there and I'm like, what is this guy? And so I looked him up and everybody was like, yeah. And so I called my wife that night. It was like probably 3am back home. Right. And I just said, there's a guy named Ryan Dyson. I'm going to work for him for sure. hundred percent. Like I got to get to know who this guy is. And so she hung up on me because she wasn't, but she was barely awake. (laughs) And then I get home and through just total, divine intervention my company was like hey you have a new strategic account it's ryan dice and we want you to fly down to austin and like spend time with him and speak at this thing he's doing and so i spent the whole day with him just like becoming his friend and uh yeah, we did a bunch of business deals together and i got to advocate for him on our side and uh and then when uh when he got there was a position called the director of monetization which still didn't even know what it meant i just knew that there was a position and i needed to go apply for it and my wife read me the description and it was like per to a t me like 100 percent me mm, I, that's amazing and so i text ryan i said should i apply for this and he's like no because you're like forbidden fruit like we can't that's like we have like all these different agreements where we yeah. can't each other's employees and I, he's like you'd have to go get the head of legal and the entire c-suite to sign off on this thing and so i did um, I literally went into all of their offices and I said, Hey, do you have an executive position for me or where I could grow into something here? And they, you know, Clay mask and some of these amazing humans who run that company who have incredible core values and they're amazing, you know, men, they basically just said, no, man, we actually don't have that, but we believe that you should go like, you should apply for this. We believe that this is a, this is an amazing opportunity to join an executive team um, and Ryan's incredible, right? Like we, mm. they were living out their core values and their, their real mission there, uh, to even let me do that. And I laughed cause as I was leaving, I was like, but if I don't get it, do I still have my job? <laughs> uh, which was, you know, up in the air, but they, uh, but they've since become like, they're, they're amazing strategic partners. We have meetings now. We do a lot of stuff together. Um, we, we actually way more talk on peer levels, which is really cool. But yeah, so I went and interviewed and, and the rest of history, three and a half years ago, I got this job. And as I came in to build out all of our global sales teams and customer facing teams and the partner program and all this different stuff, um, it was quickly identified that I was more of a personality, like a brand personality. And I was speaking and teaching and doing all kinds of stuff. And so I've had, yeah, I've had some amazing opportunities, man. I've been on huge stages. I'm hosting our event next at the end of the month called Traffic and Conversion Summit out in San Diego. And that's 10,000 people. And uh, I'm the main stage guy that gets to kind of keep it all going. And I have a bunch of talks, but all that happened literally because I just, I, I knew, man, I a hundred percent knew that like when I, when I heard Ryan speak the first time, I was like, somehow this is going to, this is going to happen. And yeah, and it did. And so, yeah, I've been on the big stages. I've been on this. I've built out a ton of, a ton on my brand side and, and personality. And, and I honestly just feel like I can do anything. I feel like God's kind of got me in a, a transition period um, where he, where I think I'm, I'm supposed to even go out 
from a digital marketer, which is kind of crazy. But I've got a really good mentor named Ryan Dice, uh, which is pretty cool. And, um, and, you know, at some point you got to, you got to kind of go out and do the scary stuff and jump off your cliff too. And I think that it, it, it might be coming to that right now is to, to do what Ryan did so long ago and has affected obviously hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And so I'm, you know, I, I think I'm at that part in that crossroad, which I think all of us come to at some point. That's really cool, man. There's so much to unpack there. Like I think, yeah, sorry, that's a lot. But I, no, it's amazing, brother. I like, I think one of the things I've noticed about digital marketer and, and Ryan and the organization, the culture there, it yeah. seems like they really create a platform where, leaders can grow and develop inside of digital marketer and then like they have no hesitation to go like hey you want to spread your wings and go do something different like it seems from the outside looking in that they've done such a great job of just being super open-handed about that yeah they're, they're great about it um but also at the same time like you're not once you're a part of the family like you don't go anywhere there's still like a ton you do together there's still you know relationships to be managed there's still a lot of things that are on the table but and it's funny man because honestly if it was up to me, I would stay forever and ever and ever. Um, <laughs> I understand what, what, you know, when, when, when people like Ryan Dice or people like Richard Linder or Roland Frazier or any of these other guys who have just done and built so much and built really incredible brands and been amazing personalities themselves say, Hey, have you ever thought about like, yeah, we could probably create a position for you internally. Like we probably could. Um, and you could probably go on doing all this stuff and you're totally worth it. And you've got a million different skills, but have you ever thought, that you could just go even further if you just did it on your own. You got the chops, man. And and when someone like Ryan says, sits you down, be like, no, you're a superstar. Like that means a lot uh, to a guy who, you know, I always, when everybody says, gives me compliments, I always just say, thank you. You know, I was taught to say that and just be humble about it. But when, when, when people who are unbelievably, you know, up here in the stratosphere tell you that, I mean, it's a huge affirmation. So no, I help, I hope, and I know that I'll be a part of this family for a really long time, but it's also, understanding that, you know, at some point we got to jump at some point we got those chances. And, um, and every, every guy that I just mentioned had to take theirs, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot there, man. Like, I think uh, I admire you for like keeping your eyes open as you're in get like that first time you meet Ryan, just to even have the awareness to say like, this is somebody I know I should be around more. Like yeah. it's, it's funny, you know, we're, we're about 20 ish episodes into the show. Yeah. And it's one of the things I notice about a lot of the men that we're interviewing when I ask about mentorship, yeah, like who mentors are in their lives. A lot of the times it's like, man, I was just doing life and I saw this other man yeah. that was doing things that I admired yeah. and I just raised my hand and said, Hey, I want to be around that guy. I want to learn from that guy. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's I mean, as simple as that. And then God continues to open those doors. Right. right. Cause, cause people, people will say no, like, you can probably identify. It's like, yeah, I want Kevin. I want to be like Kevin Hart. Like, <laughs> how do I? But it's it's interesting because that's kind of what it felt like with Ryan. That's kind of what it felt like with, you know, Richard and Roland and these guys that I continue to mention. And the reason why is like, yeah, man, they I they affect me every day. And and here's the other part. Like, I'm surrounded by guys who have amazing families, uh, who have um, amazing relationships with their wives who are incredibly wealthy, who are teaching me constantly what it's like to, 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 I mean, first of all, I'm not incredibly wealthy. Uh, (laughs) So, so it's amazing. No, really like you pick up by, by, by creating, um, you know, who you spend the most time with in your day, you are a reflection of them. And so whether you like it or not, you, all of that rubs off on you. So how people manage their money and their time and their relationships and, you know, what they invest in, what they don't like 
all of that stuff is information that you just could never get anywhere else. Like mm-hmm. you would never, like I, I got admitted to Harvard business school last year and Ryan was like, <laughs> like why people want to get out of Harvard business school to be you. Uh, so like, how does that, you know, work? And I, I remember sitting there <laughs> looking at, uh, looking at, at that and thinking like, he has a point, you know, I, yeah. I have, I have a, unbelievable amount of access to people that are just wildly successful who have balance and who are, you know, who still love me and care about me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, you can't, that's irreplaceable. Mentorship is irreplaceable in, in the journey of anybody, especially Mm men, um, to find other men who are willing to invest in their life. And I call it my, uh, one of my mentors, his name is Dayton Hughes. And you ever heard of big brothers, big sisters program? Yeah. Yeah. So he was my big brother since I was nine years old and he's the best man. He was the best man in my wedding and you know, everything else taught me how to play golf, taught me all kinds of stuff. But his biggest thing was like, you know, he believes in generational leadership and he feels that, you know, men need to go be together and, and pass down things generationally through story, through example, through um, proximity. And I think that, you know, we lose a lot of that because we get incredibly isolated in our pursuit of success. And we also get incredibly isolated just because we think, you know, we're proud and we, we don't want to feel vulnerable or, you know, those types of things aren't coming easy for most men. I can't speak for everybody, but they aren't for me. And, uh, and so when you, when you expose yourself and you fail and you show all of your imperfections to another person, especially another guy, and they are way ahead of you in life. Like they yeah. bring you along, especially if they care about you, they drag you to the finish line. If you, even if you don't want to go there. And so I've, I've experienced obviously just having a ton of success being in proximity to other really successful men. And, um, and now I hope I can do that or I have done that for other people too. But that, that is, that is huge. That's a massive part of my, my success story. It's amazing, man. Well, you're doing that right now. You're doing that, at least to me, if not the, the guys that are listening to the show, man. So you're walking that out, which I love. Uh, I'm curious, you know, one of the things I know that you're really passionate about is kind of reclaiming the sales profession for good, yeah. uh-huh. right? Uh, if I can say it that way. And I, I like, I almost see some of what you're doing in that space. Like, it seems like vocational evangelism mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in the sales industry. And I know you were sharing with me before we started recording that you thought about for a while becoming a pastor, right? So like, mm-hmm. how do you equate kind of what you're doing now in the marketplace with like our, our call to go create disciples? Like, how do you integrate those things? Yeah, I think, you know, we we can do it in two ways. There's a direct way to do that. You can literally go out and stand on a corner and talk about Jesus 100%. In fact, I admire that. I look at people that do it in really terrible ways and you know, mm-hmm. spread, spread way more hate than they do love. But I, I'd also just kind of like the people that are out there handing out tracks and I never make fun of those people. I just can't because that's not me. I don't have the, I, that is not the courage. I don't feel like I have that. That's not, that's not it. But if you use your platform and you set it up the right way, you have interactions with, I mean, people have interactions with, with the, with the God of the universe all the time through you. And so it's an amazing responsibility to think that every interaction is with an image bearer. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a person who, is um, regardless whether they know it or not, they are. And I, I see people way differently now. They're not just in my way, you know? And in fact, gosh, I even talk to people on airplanes. I know it's not popular. <laughs> not popular. It's not popular at all. You're, uh, the, you're that guy. You're the sales. Well, you, you, know you know what I do though? I actually, I wait. If people want to engage with me, I engage with them uh, in that regard. But in, in close proximity conversations, uh, we get we get to some pretty deep depths quick. And I've, I've got that. I can do that with a lot of different people. Mm. And I realized that, you know, when I'm out and I'm, I'm just, yeah, I wanted to be a pastor. 
I wanted to be a pastor for all the wrong reasons. I wanted to be a pastor because they gave me a microphone and I had a, a captive audience every week and I probably would have grown that church. Ooh, probably would have grown that church. <laughs> People probably would have been listening to that podcast and they would have probably, you know, given the, that, so it would have been crazy. I probably would have been like a, you know, a sneakers and preachers and sneakers kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, I got a really great advice from a, from a pastor who just basically was saying like, I think you're going to plant a pulpit and not a church. And being a pastor is being a shepherd of people and being there when they're in the hospital and being all the time. It's not just the kind of like, you know, speaking and being talented in that regard. Mm. So, yeah, I, I took that route and said, I can still walk and talk and create an, a, a big following. And then those people can look at my life and find this podcast and, uh, and see, and see Christ all over it. And I think yeah. that's where, that's what I'm hoping. Like I I've never, I've never liked it. Even when I was, you know, when someone was pursuing me, when, when disciple, when somebody was being discipled and discipling me and when these men were pursuing me in my life and wanted me to know Christ before I got baptized at 23, I remember you know, I just, I left such a bad taste in my mouth the way that people did it. These guys walked alongside me. Mm. They put up with my crap. They never gave up on me. And they, uh, they, they, they sat there in moments when, you know, they knew so much more than me, but they were patient and they were, they were kind and they were direct when they needed to be. And those guys, you know, it's so funny. I don't even keep in touch with those guys anymore, really, but they were the the most important people in my life. And they, that was, that was where I feel like I was like, how can I be effective in other people's lives this way? So like, how can I walk and talk and be patient and take those characteristics and those attributes more than just feeling like I got to go, you know, hit everybody with my Bible. I think, I think I, I think I want to use the platform to show people um, a little glimpse of my life. And, and, and yeah, when people ask me questions, man, this is what happens. Like you asked me to be on a podcast, talk about my faith. Like that's a, that's a perfect scenario for me. I can do that not a hard thing to do. So yeah, I love, I love actually handing that down and, and the courageous part of like being on a street corner talking about Jesus. Like, I don't think I'm there. I don't know if I ever will be, but I do think that I'm going to be the guy that um, is always talking about what God did in my life. And if people point to the successful things in my life, I'm quick to never just sit there and go like, man, yeah, I'm just so I'm awesome. Like that is not, I've learned that I'm not. <laughs> and the only success in the stuff that I continue to get pushed forward is because God wants me to be there or else I wouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know which, which one of Paul's letters it's in, but there's a verse somewhere in Paul's letters that he says, we not only shared the gospel with you, but we shared our lives also. And like, that's what I, that's yes. what kept coming to my mind when you're talking about like the mentors that just like did life alongside you and were there to challenge you when you needed it, but were there to encourage you and, and, and bring you forward when you needed it too. Yep. Uh, I'm curious, Marcus, you know, you talk about, and as we kind of wrap up here, but you talk about generational leadership. Yeah. And when you're talking about your grandpa and some yeah. of the disciplines that he had in his life, one of the things you shared is like uh, this spiritual discipline to start every day in scripture. Yeah. Is that something that's been a, a discipline for you or what does your engagement with scripture look like? You know, I just went through, it's so funny that you asked. Um, I used to struggle with that a lot. And then uh, one, my, my wife's in every day. So it makes it easier for me, which is nice to have a spouse, a partner who actually like, you know, it's like hardcore pursuit. My wife is totally. Ministry, by the way, so it makes it. It's like I told her, by the way, she's she's going to go into ministry, and I told her I was going to be a liability. But I do <laughs> think uh, I do think that you know, starting with somebody every day has been that's been helpful to have a wife, a praying wife, and a supportive uh, wife in terms of pointing me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my rhythm that has been something 
that once that actually penetrated my heart, been something I desire, crave, and feel different when I do rather than when I don't. And I've got a million excuses every morning to not. But also the rhythm I have is I take my daughter to school. And so in the morning, we uh, listen to like something short and then we'll talk a little bit about it. And uh, she's so funny because she'll like run around preaching the gospel. I feel, I feel like she's going to be, I have no idea who she's going to be. Cause she's, she's like, not she's, afraid of the street. Oh, corner, huh? man. <laughs> like remotely. And she's like a, she's like has a guitar and sings and she's just like, she's going to be an entertainer like her dad. But I do think, awesome. I do think my rhythm is, is much more supported by the people that I incubate my life with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that isn't my default position. My default position is not to wake up every day and just jump in the word. Like that is the harder part of this whole deal. And I think that I had to be really intentional about letting people into my life and put setting things up so that I have to run into it every day. I know that sounds really funny, but it's like, if you read a, you got to trip over the Bible every day to open it, like who cares? Like you just, like you know, throw, it's like, it's yeah. and so for me, I feel like I've got to have it there because my affections don't always, they fool me. And they will deceive me and I, and my flesh will a hundred percent deceive me every day and say, I don't need it. Or I don't, it doesn't serve me. Or like, I got to go listen to this next podcast or I got to do something else or read this other book. Like it literally has to be something that I interact with and smacks me in the face every day. And that's okay for now. And I'm hoping, and I pray every day that I I will be like my grandfather someday, just old and dusty and just (laughs) drinking, you know, black coffee and just relishing and sitting there every day so that that like because I have a, a stirred such an affection in my life that that is that is what I have to start my day with, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm not quite there, but I do think that I've set up things in my life where I you know I, I have to come face to face with it every day. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, Marcus, man, I appreciate you so much. Thank yeah. you for coming on the show. I, I really like. I want to acknowledge you just for you don't know it, but you've mentored me from afar just in the way that you carry yourself so well as a leader but in a way that really comes from a really humble, authentic, overused word, right? But but really an authentic, heartfelt place, man. So thank you for what you're doing. And, and thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, and absolutely. I think what you're doing. I mean, this is this is a, you know, I'm on, I'm on hundreds of podcasts a year and I rarely get the opportunity to talk about one, being a man is not necessarily a super popular topic right now because most men are terrible. Just anybody listening to this, <laughs> most likely are. Uh, and the second part is just because like, get all these opportunities to share and talk about God openly and talk about my faith. And so, yeah, man, I, I really admire what you're doing and I hope this thing just blows up and continues to, to get bigger and bigger. Thanks brother. We're just learning from, from DM, man. We gotta, we gotta do something. <laughs> hey, if people want to find out more about you, connect with you, where would you send them? You know, honestly, LinkedIn's my spot and uh, you can find me. I'm Marcus Murphy on there. Uh, and uh, it's usually the first one. That's not, that's not like a flex. That's just, I don't know why, but for everybody keeps finding me on there first. Yeah. Marcus Murphy on LinkedIn. Feel free to shoot me, ask me questions. I I'm i I'm really responsive in the messages, but, but feel free to connect. Love to love to keep the dialogue going. Yeah. Yeah. I can attest to that. Marcus answered me within like 30 seconds. And I, I have to admit, I like, I was a little starstruck. I'm like, Oh man, he actually messaged me back. I was not expecting that. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. I, uh, it's good. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I will always reply. It's awesome, man. Yeah. When you're on the LinkedIn advisory board, there's got to be something where you get like, you at least should show up first as Marcus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the algorithm is doing, but I just show up. Maybe it's just because I'm wearing a, you know, like a cool shirt on or something. <laughs> there you go. No, cool. Thanks again, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks again. What's up, fellas? Thanks so much for listening to the show. As always, I hope you are getting as much out of it as I am. You know, I consider it such an honor 
um, to learn at the feet of the men that we interview on this show, but also such an honor to bring their stories and their wisdom and the things that Jesus has taught them over the years out to you guys. It is such a, a cool spot to be in. I'm so grateful for it. Our team is so grateful for it. Uh, and here's the deal. We got a, a couple things I need to ask your help with. One, if you could, it would mean the world to me if this podcast has brought you any value to jump onto iTunes and leave us a quick review. It's super, super simple. You can do it right there from your podcast app, but it really helps us get this show out in front of more men that are hungry for this content, but don't know that it exists unless Apple shows it to them. Right. And so if you leave a review, that can really help us make sure that Apple sees that this content is valuable to you and shows it to other men that listen to other similar podcasts that you do. So that would be a huge win for us. And the second thing is if you could go to grownmanproject.com and sign up for the email list so we can make sure that we keep you in the loop on events, on news, on resources, on anything that's going on in our world that we think you might want to be a part of. We want to be able to invite you to those opportunities. Uh, you can always say no to those opportunities. I don't know why you would. <laughs> but unless we have your email address, we have no way of getting that out in front of you, right? So go to grownmanproject.com, get signed up for the email list so we can stay in touch. Again, guys, I am so grateful for each and every one of you that listen to the show. It means the world to me, and I would love to hear from you. You can email me anytime at kurt at grownmanproject.com, kurt, K-U-R-T, at grownmanproject.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. I'd love to hear any feedback you have for us, anything you'd like to hear differently, uh, any episodes that have been your favorite so far, any topics that you feel like we need to cover, any events you'd like to see us put on in the future, whatever you want to say, even if you just want to say, hey, how you doing, Kurt? I'd appreciate that message too. Uh, shoot me an email anytime, Kurt, K-U-R-T at grownmanproject.com. Thanks for listening. us up before we uh before we get going god thanks for um thanks for opportunity just to to build relationship i thank you for the digital technology that you allowed us to create as humans that allows for just a whole new level of relationship and engagement between you know two guys here that that are seeking to honor you and glorify you that otherwise would have never in a million years connected uh, i'm so grateful for that i'm grateful for uh, the ability that you gave us to be creative. Uh, I pray that you would speak in us and through us as we have this conversation today, God, that the conversation would be glorifying to you and ultimately bring uh, any men that listen to it closer to you in relationship, closer to understanding your uh, amazing, loving, grace-filled character. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.